The Veritas Radio Network is guaranteed the right to offend, annoy, agitate, shout heresy, and entertain. You should start programming right now. Kind of like the cultural sewage served up on Bravo or CMT, only it's on 24 hours a day. Except Sundays. When the truth gets you angry and you throw your smartphone, remember, no one is forcing you to listen to the truth on the Veritas Radio Network. You can't handle the truth! You're doing that of your own free will. That's what makes this country great, and any gay marriage pointless. That's offensive! So there isn't much you can do about it, Chowderhead. I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. Grab a book, take a vow, and conform your mind to reality. Reality. Otherwise, you're just another Judas-inspired Karl Marx wannabe, and your children will steal your credit card number to buy tickets to the Miley Cyrus Twerkers Ball. I came in like a wrecking Are you ready? Let's get it on. On the Veritas Radio Network's Crusade. Welcome to the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. Dehomene, live classroom and chat room for our Wednesday night, 14 June 2017. We are covering Dehomene lecture number 16, aren't we? I believe we're in the second half of the course now, and if you missed any of the previous episodes, you can download any and all of them if you follow the podcast string, which you can find on my website at mikechurch.com. That's where you also find the uh, Dahomene classroom and chat room item that is scrolling at the top of the page at mikechurch.com. Just click the Dahomene uh, homepage. And uh, you can subscribe to the podcast feed right there. And uh, it'll automatically, if you have an RSS reader, automatically load all the previous 15 episodes into the, uh, into the window for you. And you can listen to each and every one of them. If you'd like to purchase the course and join us at any time, feel free to do so. Go to Catholicism.org and uh, find Brother Andre Marie, and he will offer you a discount on the entire set of 31 lectures for Brother Francis Malouf. And uh, you can uh, catch up on the classroom chat and the questions that were asked about each individual episode, again, by just following the podcast at mikechurch.com. And uh, tonight, immediately following uh, this classroom and chat room is the latest episode of Brother Andre Marie's Reconquest radio show. 
And we'll find out what's on that and much more. Uh, let's bring in Brother Andre Marie, who is uh, live uh, and joining us via the Skype Maker Hotline at the St. Benedict Center of Richmond, New Hampshire. Brother, brother, happy uh, spring evening to you. How are you? I'm well, Mike. How are you? I am well as well, but not well as in steak well. So <laughs> we'll keep the puns to a minimum tonight. Uh did, did, did I say that right? Is it is it Dahomey sixteen? Um, yeah, it's right. It's sixteen. Okay, all right. I I, I said sixteen. I went. Ooh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> I had to. I had to. And I actually listened to it right before we came in tonight. And I uh, know that brother was lecturing principally on Psalm sixty five, but he also touched on some uh, serious, deep theological issues. Uh, I'm not sure what it is that we're going to cover tonight, brother. So why don't you catch us up on that? Well, okay. So um, uh, th this one was kind of a real barn burner. I mean, he had an awful lot to say tonight. It was packed. Um, he talked about numerous things, kind of all over the place. He he started by introducing um, after after some remarks about one of the Psalms, Psalm 65. He went on to talk about, uh, he quoted Aristotle talking about purpose. He, he, he keeps taking us back to purpose. So um, I should warn you that the notes have a Latin boo-boo in them that I didn't catch before. But he quotes Aristotle, and obviously he's getting out of St. Thomas because Aristotle didn't write in Latin, he wrote in Greek. But the phrase the, the, in Latin, it's non solum intellectus et etium natura agit propter finem, which means not only the intellect, but even nature works towards an end. Sure. And Brother Francis made the point that if universities would teach that, we could have a, 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 a potentially uh, massive uh, overhaul in, in, in people's thinking. So, and, and when you kind of unpack that, you see that there's an awful lot to it. Um, he, in reflecting on this, he reiterated what St. Thomas told us that we talked about last week, which is that um, on the one hand, even though um, intellects obviously do things for, for a purpose, work towards an end, because we have the capacities to do that, reasonable creatures can do that, um, humans can do that. Angels who have intellect can do that. Uh, work towards a purpose explicitly, one that's contained in themselves, one that ones that their own minds can can come up with. Sure. But that nature itself works with a pur towards a purpose. That that's that's a much bigger reality, uh, and and has to be looked at, has to be observed. And brother reiterated what St. Thomas said about the arrow, that, that um, all of uh, brute creation, all of uh, unintelligent creation works towards an end, um, just as an arrow works towards its end by being aimed by the archer. So um, we, have, we have quite evident uh, in intelligent design in creation uh, and by the way, th th this uh, Friday, I'm preparing to interview uh, a, a, a Polish Dominican priest uh, for uh, a, uh, reconquest, and um, he wrote a book called Catholicism and Evolution. And I'm reading his book now, 
and it's uh, it's amazing. But in it, he has all these facts in it. It's packed with facts about showing you how obviously intelligently designed um, everything in the universe is, especially, of course, living organisms and the and the utter improbability uh, of of evolution ever having happened, um, according to the Darwinian or neo-Darwinian models or any 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 models of evolution for that matter. Um, he just shows you how absurd it is metaphysically. Um, anyway, uh, um, so, th but, but, th and it, by the way, he's a Dominican and he's a Thomist, so he's steeped into mystic principles. Okay. And okay. one of the things that he's written, in addition to this book, is a study basically debunking evolution purely from using St. Thomas and saying that anybody that's going to use St. Thomas to try to prove theistic evolution is just doing it. Uh, he's basically doing a profound disservice to St. Thomas because St. Thomas's principles completely contradict it. Um, so anyway, that that that's just a um, kind of, in a sense, bringing up to date the observation that 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 Aristotle made about um, not only the intellect but even nature works towards an end. And when you see the evident purpose in everything, you realize it didn't just happen. That that working for a purpose. Uh, obviously implies intelligence, right? So uh, that's one thing that he reflected on. And Brother spoke at some uh, length in this lecture about the difference between the... Now, he, he, here, again, we're, we're, we're in the middle of Catholic theology, and I can't make any... Um, uh, I can't change that. I can't say, no, this is just philosophy. Um he talks about the difference between Ecclesia Decens and Ecclesia Docens. I should say it the other way around. It's Ecclesia Docens is first, then Decens. And um, he, he explains them in terms of the philosophical concepts of imminent action and transient action. Okay. And um, now it's an important distinction when, um, if you're a Catholic for appreciating what the church's teaching authority is and, and also even what it means to be a Catholic. Uh, Brother Francis made this statement, and, he, and I used to hear him say this all the time, um, that, that people need to be docile. We need to have docility. And I think we tend to think of docility, uh, those people who even know, have some vague idea of what the word means, people think that docile somehow means uh, easily led or somehow means, you know, um, incapable of any resistance or something like that. But, but the word docile comes from the word for, it means teachable. It comes from the Latin word for to teach. Oh. <laughs> and Brother Francis used two words. Um, um, he, he contrasted the, the two um, parts of the church. This is a, tr this is a traditional uh, distinction in Catholic ecclesiology between the ecclesia docens, which means the teaching church, and the ecclesia decens, which means the learning church. And the, the, the teaching church, of course, are those uh, in the hierarchy who have the authority to teach. In other words, those who teach 
with authority, especially when they're using their highest authority to teach. There's a certain ordinary teaching authority that every every pastor has in his pulpit, that every uh, bishop has in his uh, you know cathedra, uh, his bishop's chair uh, in his diocesan cathedral. But that's just an ordinary authority, and it's, it's certainly not invested with infallibility, although he is infallible if he's teaching in union with all the bishops of the world. But uh, then there is the extraordinary teaching authority that's invested in the pope and the bishops. And while Brother didn't by any means go on an exhaustive explanation of what constitutes the magisterium, he did talk uh, in some detail about the criteria for a papal infallible infallible um, definition, and um, so, but without getting into that detail yet, the, the 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 Pope teaching us and the bishops teaching us, that's what you call the ecclesia decens, or rather the ecclesia docens, the church teaching, okay. and that word that that comes from the Latin word. Uh, uh, docio docere, which means to teach, um, and we get we get we get various Latin derived words in the English language uh, from this, from um, docere. But there's another word uh, which sounds similar, but um, the spelling's different, the meaning's completely different, and that is disco discere. And that means to learn. And we have a host of words in English that come from that. Disciple comes from that, meaning, meaning really student, somebody who learns from somebody else. We, so we, in the Gospels, we read about Christ's disciples. And these aren't just the 12 apostles, uh, but it's others, who, who were those who were learning from Christ. So uh, we, we also have the word discipline. Right in English, that comes from um, uh, disco dicere, um, and and um, a whole bunch of related uh, related words. But docile um, comes from this too. Meaning, I mean, docile actually comes from t- to teach, meaning teachable. Somebody who's teachable. So somebody who's docile uh, can be a good disciple. Okay, so it shows you the complementarity between those things. Obviously, it's, it, there is a complementarity between the teaching church and the learning church. The teaching church obviously teaches, and the learning church uh, learns from it. But then he, then he, makes the, the, he, he talks about how the same individual belongs to both. In the case of the pope, in the case of the bishops, they don't just teach, they also have to believe. And he makes the point that they're greater in their belief than in their teaching, <laughs> Because in their teaching, they're fulfilling an office. Right. They're, right. they're doing something that is essentially servile for the good of others. But in believing, that is being disciples, learning the faith, um, they are actually able then to practice the theological virtues. And it's, it's in that that their personal sanctity consists. Obviously, uh, if they're unfaithful to their offices, to their teaching offices, that that's a mark against them. But, but his main point is that the Pope is is greater in believing than he is when he's when he's actually teaching. 
because one is an office at the service of others. It's servile. The other is liberal in the sense that it's 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 gives you freedom. It it it, it, it uh, and and this comparison between the 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 superiority of believing to teaching uh, is something that Brother Francis likened to um, a, uh, activity versus contemplation. That the person who is active is doing things primarily at the service of others. Whereas the person who is contemplative is doing things that are imminent in himself, that are improving himself, not just serving others. But of course, these things are meant to coexist in the same people and be complementary. This is the Dahomey Classroom Live Classroom and Chat Room. If you'd like to join the chat room, you can. It's free. You don't have to be a. You don't have to be a, a, a member of any sort. Uh, don't cost nothing. You can go to MikeChurch.com at the top of the page. You'll see the Dahomey Live Classroom and Chat Room, and you can enter the chat room there, and you'll see the uh, the chat room box. You can. Uh, my advice is to open it up in a new window, and you can log in using any username you wish. And then once logged in, you can even, uh, once, well, once you join the chat room, you can even invite friends via Facebook and Twitter to join us and to spread the good word about Dahomey. Tonight, at the immediate conclusion of tonight's broadcast, we will have a brand new episode of Brother Andre Marie's Reconquest Radio Show, which I believe tonight is episode number 8.0. Right, brother? right it's 80 um yes it's called return to order and my guest is um mr john horvats whom i believe you've interviewed before mike yes and so have you yeah he yeah he, he and i did an interview earlier and uh uh but this time um we're interviewing him i'm interviewing him on his book which i actually read <laughs> so <laughs> I, I i got i got to read his book between uh, the, the last time i interviewed him which is about some other matters and and this time, so the, uh, I, I think the interview went pretty well. So I'm excited about it. I hope I hope people enjoy it. Now, brother, is uh, did you actually put notes up in the chat room? Because I don't see them. Oh, um, I didn't. Uh, no, I, I will. I will put up the link. Last week, last week I put it up, kind of in advance for tonight. Ah. Uh, that's the whole folder. So you'll see the notes for number sixteen in there. Okay, I see it. Excellent, uh, brother. Um, yeah. uh, brother Francis also likened that um, uh, that a pope is greater when he is receiving communion than when he is giving communion. Just to, yes. to the point that you were making. Yeah, and, and and brother brother's great at playing playing pairs of distinctions off against each other. So on the one hand, you've got so so he talked about transient action versus imminent action and you will it, it maybe everybody can sort of scrape the rust off their minds and go back to when we talked about that way back in psychology if you were here for psychology but um transient action is is action like if uh, remember you might remember that brother francis talked about a leaf blowing in the wind so he, said, he, 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 he was talking about sitting at his desk, looking out the window, and seeing the leaves blowing. 
and it was a windy day, and all the leaves are blowing in a certain direction. Of course, this is New England, so you've got lots of leaves in the fall, and they're all blowing one direction. And then he said he sees something about the same size as some of the leaves going the opposite direction, and he looked closer, and he realized it was a bird. And he said, there's the difference between transient action and imminent action. Transient action is something uh, is being worked upon by another. Okay, Forces outside of itself are moving it. Whereas imminent action means action that is in the thing. Okay, Imminent comes in the Latin words uh, in manere, meaning dwelling or remaining inside of the thing. So, and remember, the definition of life is it, it's something capable of imminent activity. So when, when you see the leaves, you know, leaves are dead. You know, you're talking about the fallen leaves off of trees. You're talking about something that, that uh, even if it is technically alive when it first falls off a tree, it's, uh, it's not a sentient thing. It's not capable as a plant of locomotion. So as far as motion goes... Uh, everything that's done to it is is transient. Okay. So it's flying with the wind. But the bird can fly against the wind. You know, a salmon can, you know, uh, the, the rocks and the sand and the and the sticks and twigs and all that fall in the, in the stream can be taken with the current of the stream. But the salmon can can swim upstream. That's that for Brother Francis. These were great illustrations of the difference between transient action, which is just being worked on, as it were, from outside, and imminent action, where the, the action um, is from a principle inside of the thing itself that's so, acting. So when, uh, when Chesterton says that only the living can swim upstream against the stream and the dead float with it, then uh, what are the people that are swimming up the stream, the alive people? Yeah, they, well, they're 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 alive. I mean, I mean, this is a typical Chesterton Chestertonism. Um, uh, he's just taking something, you know. Uh, Brother Francis used to, used Brother Francis had a Chestertonian streak in him, as I think you know, Mike. I from did. Listening to him. Oh yeah. And uh, Chesterton, I think to a fault, uh, um, uh, praised Philosophia Perennis as the, the philosophy of the common man. I, th I think Chesterton kind of exaggerated the, the virtues of the common man, perhaps a little, a little, a little much. But that aside, Chesterton uh, did, w w what we can value about the common man, as Chesterton conceives of him, is the concept of common sense. And as Brother Francis constantly says, Philosophia Perennis is, is sort of a, an advanced form, a codified form, a rationalized schema of common sense. It's 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 what your grandpa knew intuitively uh, with his fifth grade education. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? But 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 they give clearly defined words to it. <laughs> you mean yeah. it's what Jethro Bodine of the Beverly Hillbillies knew with his seventh grade education? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, and, and what the guy that worked at the bank didn't quite know. <laughs> yeah, because he was because he was all servile and he was sort of stuck in his in his uh, in his in his uber capitalist uh, mindset. But yeah, th this is this is very much uh, where Brother Francis and Chesterton uh, kind of uh, 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 coalesce. 
is that Philosophia Perennis, a term that Chesterton used quite a bit in his books on St. Thomas, in his book on St. Thomas, um, Chesterton uh, and Brother Francis definitely they definitely coincide and agree on this concept of Philosophia Perennis being being uh, a, a, a systematized, disciplined, and, and highly articulated version of common sense. And um, so, so the, the, the concept of imminent versus transient action is a distinction that Brother Francis applied in this lecture to other things. So he applied that, that to the, the church teaching, the Ecclesia Docens, and the church learning, the Ecclesia Decens, that in the case of the church teaching, it's exerting transient action upon something outside of itself. But that the disciple, the person who's a member of the church learning, the Ecclesia Decens, what results in him from learning the teaching is imminent. Yes, he is being acted upon from outside in as much as he's being taught. But by making the act of faith, by assenting to the act of faith, and by doing what um, depends upon that act of faith, namely acts of hope and acts of charity and other acts of the other virtues supernaturally elevated, all of those things in him are imminent. They are inside of him, perfecting him. And that's the difference. When a bishop teaches the truth, he's doing his duty. He's doing, as our Lord said, only what he ought to have done. But when the person who believes believes, when he assents to faith, and when he uh, practices uh, acts of internal or external virtue, that act is inside of himself, and it sanctifies him. So there's yet another pair of concepts that Brother Francis attaches to this, and that is the, the and, and you'll remember this, it's been talked about before, the difference between gratia gratis data, and gratia gratum faciens. Um, and I'm tempted to use your shtick, Mike, and say, member, member? Member, <laughs> member! Uh, but gratia gratis data is grace um, uh, freely given, and gratia gratum faciens means grace uh, that makes pleasing. And you might think, what the heck is that distinction? That doesn't make any sense. Well, grace freely given is, is the kind of grace that somebody has uh, in order to sanctify others. For instance, oh. we talk about the ordinary grace that the priest has to consecrate the Eucharist and to uh, forgive sins. We talk about the extraordinary um, uh, gratia gratis date, which um, people like Padre Pio had. Okay, the so-called charismatic graces, the, the, the legitimate ability that the apostles and others had to speak in tongues and to understand foreign languages and things like that. Uh, all of this is not primarily for the sanctification of the person who does it or who uses that gift. It's for the sanctification of others. Whereas gratia gratum faciens means grace ma which makes pleasing. And that's an, that's an important concept because it conveys to us what it is that interior grace does in the soul. Sanctifying grace, which is also called habitual grace, makes us pleasing to God. 
and all of those things that are related to it, like the act, like like the virtues of faith, hope, and charity, and the gifts of the Holy Ghost, all of these things are for the sanctification of the individual who possesses them. So when a bishop, when he, when he makes an act of faith, hope, or charity, that perfects his own soul, right? And he's sanctifying himself. Okay. But when he's teaching, he's using his ordinary gratia, gratis, in the plural, gratia, gratis date, the grace is freely given, and he's exercising an official uh, office in the church, if that's not a redundant <laughs> official office. He's exercising an office in the church to sanctify others. So bishops teach, govern, and sanctify. But when they do that stuff, it's not necessarily sanctifying them. That's an office that they're doing for the benefit of others. However, in a sense, once the, when the bishop sits in his Episcopal chair and teaches, he's sanctifying others. When, when he sits down as a disciple and learns and believes, he's sanctifying himself. And, and, that's, and, and it's in that context and it's in that sort of schema of things that Brother Francis says that a priest is, is, is greater when he's receiving communion than when he's consecrating. Because when he's consecrating at the Mass, I mean, I mean of course, and of course, Brother Francis is not saying that consecration is, is not important or it's trivial. <laughs> That's not at all. His point is that when he's consecrating, the priest is acting as a servant. He's, he's acting as a ministerial priest, which... That word minister means servant. He's serving an office. But when he receives communion, as every priest, of course, has to do in the Mass, uh, it's then that he's sancti being sanctified by, by the, the sacraments. This is the Philosophy of Perennis Live Classroom and Chat Room here on the Crusade Channel. King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. We are here every Wednesday night and have been for over two years now. Uh, even uh, We even predate the Crusade Channel. And uh, we have a lot of, uh, uh, um, a lot of episodes of Philosophy of Perennis uh, ready to go and to roll out uh, probably at the end of Dahomey. Uh, we can uh, relaunch the series, brother. I meant to tell you that, that Christopher has edited and cataloged and categorized and put every one of them in order, and they're all uploaded and ready to go. Uh, the, the, the pages are made. The feed is made. All we really have to do is make a plan to kind of relaunch Philosophy of Perennis as a uh, weekly series where uh, folks can, uh, again, go and buy the lecture series and then tune in on a particular night on the Crusade channel and listen to the lecture that covered it. So uh, it's just about ready to go. It's just one of the things that we do here, and we're here every Wednesday night, and Brother is here every Wednesday, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday night from 6 to 8 p.m. in some capacity, usually with two back-to-back -back episodes of Reconquest. Tonight we get the philosophy at 6 and then the new episode of Reconquest. And on Thursday you uh, you get back-to-back uh, -back, uh, episodes of Reconquest. And on Friday night the same. And on Sunday mornings during Sermon Sunday, which is 24 hours of rolling Roman Catholic traditional uh, uh, sermons all set to whatever is on the calendar. For example, right now, uh, I believe coming up this Sunday are sermons about uh, the month of June being the month of the Sacred Heart of our Lord and with Corpus Christi coming up. Uh, so you can count on that every Sunday, and you can also count on Brother 
And sometimes Sister Maria Philomena sh uh, showing up for an episode of Reconquest. From 9 to 10 a.m. is one, and from 10 to 11 a.m. is, is the second. And then we start back up with uh, Sermon Sunday. Uh, our priests don't work on Sunday, but our radio broadcast does live on our app, which is free, don't cost nothing, in the Google Play Store, in the Android Store, and always on our site at crusadechannel.com. And if you're having trouble locating any of this, uh, the Crusade Channel website loads beautifully on every phone that I've tested it with thus far. Uh, but we also come to you now uh, with the live stream, the radio station, the Crusade Channel radio station, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, via the Internet radio option in iTunes. Brother, there are over 1.3 billion copies of iTunes currently downloaded and operating. So it's quite an audience we have access to here from our little our, our little perch on the Crusade Channel. And as oh, I'm, that's like Carl Sagan proportions. Billions and billions and billions. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to give that update tomorrow morning. If you'd like to join me from six a.m. to eleven a uh, from six a.m. to eleven a.m. Uh, Mike Church Show is live with Crusade Channel News at six a.m., uh, seven a.m., eight a.m., ten a.m., eleven a.m., and noon. With Celeste Youngblood, you'll get tomorrow's Saint of the Day, the top headlines coming your way. And, of course, we present our news live uh, on the app as well. My special guest tomorrow is the one and only Joseph Pierce, who will be with me for a complete hour tomorrow. And if you missed today's interview, part two of the Deliver Us From Evil tapes with demonologist Ralph Sarchi, all I can tell you is if you're not a Founders Past member and you don't have access to part two and then part one to, get, uh, to, to catch the whole thing and he's agreed to do part three, uh, you're missing out. <laughs> it was good stuff today. So all that is going on right here on the little old Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at crusadechannel.com and on our app and now via iTunes. Uh, brother, I'm looking at the, uh, the statement by Brother Francis, and I don't know that you covered it. I don't think that you did, where he was telling a story at the beginning of his talk, and he said, if I try to say something to someone in Latin and explain to them that's the most important and beautiful language in the world and they have no time for it, then I have no time for them. I can't possibly take anyone serious who does not have time for Latin. You yeah. want to explain yeah. that? Yeah, well, I mean, Brother, Brother Francis thought that uh, it, was a, it was a great mark of uh, loyalty uh, and docility on, on the part of somebody who liked Latin. Uh, on the other hand, he thought that somebody who thought that, you know, Latin was unimportant and um, didn't need to be studied and, and, and the church should just, you know, sort of get rid of it. Uh, he thought that that was just a mark of, of uh, imbecility or, I mean, I, I'm using my own words here, but he, he, he thought that that was just a, a serious mark against that person. Because for brother, tr tradition had an inestimable value. And the, 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 the value of Latin in the church um, has always been at least twofold. That as a dead language, uh, and, I, and we don't reject the use of the word dead language. Of course it's a dead language. I mean, I know people that speak it. I, have a, I know this guy, and he and his friends speak nothing but Latin to each other. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm nowhere near the, the, the capacity that these guys have for Latin. 
I mean, they, they, they will literally, they made a pact among themselves. This, by the way, this guy knows several other languages, include, including Greek and uh, 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 Old Church, Slavonic, Italian, Spanish, and French. And, but, but he and his buddies who live in Italy, and he's an American from South Carolina with a thick Southern accent, uh, they speak nothing but Latin. Uh, like, I mean, everything, you know, uh, uh, from, from how are you to let's go have some cappuccino, everything, it's all in Latin. Um, and the brother Francis wasn't uh, sort of a fanatic or a linguistic snob like that, but he had a value for Latin that was very much in the tradition uh, of the Catholic faith, which is the value of Latin as a dead language is that the, the, the words don't evolve. English is constantly in evolution, and I know this. I'm a teacher, and sometimes my <laughs> students say things which I, I have no clue what they mean, or or if I do, I mean, I, I have to do violence to the words as I know them in order to understand what my students are saying. So you, you, might, you know, Mike, that the popular culture is constantly pushing the envelope of the language. And while it might be doing so at a more rapid pace today because of mass communication and so forth, it's always been the way with living languages that they evolve. Words develop different connotations. You know, look at Shakespeare, look at Elizabethan English in Shakespeare or any of the if any of his contemporary poets or playwrights or whatever, and you find that the language is seriously changed. I mean, naughty in Shakespearean English means something very different today than than maybe the word naughty means something very different in our modern English than it did in Shakespearean English. Well, and that's just one word. There's a whole host of words, some of which don't even exist anymore <laughs> in modern language. Shakespeare's vocabulary was enormous, um, and the, the 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 point of that is. If the lang if this living language has this constant elasticity, um, the, the 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 meanings of words are going to vary over time. Whereas in in a dead language, although you will have variation depending on the epoch from, of the language that you're dealing with, there's still it's still much more consecrated, and and the meanings of the words are fixed in like a canon, you know, a stable lexicon. Uh, so there's that. And then there is the other reason of universality, that for Latin Rite Catholics, uh, you know, this is as distinguished from like Eastern Rite Catholics, but for Latin Rite Catholics, you go anywhere in the Latin Rite world and you walk into a Latin Rite Mass and it's the same. I mean, I have heard stories of uh, guys who were in the United States Marines going overseas and, and serving mass for priests that didn't speak the same language that they did. Sure. You know, they couldn't even speak after mass to the priest whose mass they served. But when they were out, you know, offering the mass, the the the, the priest is using the same Latin language that the, the the server was used to serving in, and and the server is. In other words, they're understanding each other on the altar, and they're able to communicate, uh, even though in the sacristy afterwards, you know. I, my friend Jack McManus tells a story about being in Greece, and he served the Latin Mass of a Greek, a Greek national Latin Rite priest, and uh, they couldn't speak a lick of each other's languages to each other in the sacristy afterwards. But they were able to get through the Mass perfectly. Okay. So that that so the the aspect of universality and the aspect of fixed canonical meaning of the words. 
um, uh, as opposed to an elastic kind of meaning. This is why Latin is so important in law. Even modern lawyers who who have any who who are worth their their salt know something of Latin because so much of the legal lexicon is in Latin, and that's no accident. It goes back to Catholic canon law. Excellent, excellent points. This is the Philosophy of Panenis live classroom and chat room. We're talking about uh, tonight's uh, lecture number 16 in the lecture 31 lecture series, De Homine, uh, recorded back in the 1980s by Brother Francis, Francis Malouf. And uh, if you're listening, know that, and you're just catching the tail end of this, know that you can always catch up by listening to the chat room and classroom uh, rebroadcast. Well, not rebroadcast, but the uh, podcast that are on the feed uh, on my website at mikechurch.com. You just uh, uh, click on the Catholicism link and then uh, Philosophia uh, Pedenis, and it'll be the top selection there. Uh, find any of those 15 or 16 items there, their posts, and each one of them has embedded in it a audio file and a link that you can subscribe to the Philosophia Pedenis RSS feed or podcast feed using a podcast reader, uh, cataloger, downloader, whatever uh, whatever your preference is. Uh, brother, we've got just about 15 minutes to go, and looks like we're about uh, a good way through the notes. Where shall we drive the bus next? Okay, well, j- j- let me just mention a, a little fun fact real quick. Uh, brother Francis mentions, um, uh, he-, he talks about our patriarch, who somebody had recently tried to assassinate. Yes. I didn't even know what he was talking about. I knew that he had met one of the uh, uh, Melkite patriarchs, but he's talking about Patriarch Maximus V, Hakim. And I'm just throwing up in the chat room a link to the Wikipedia article on him. There, I, didn't re- I didn't know this, but there was an attempt to assassinate him, I think around the year 1990. Um, he was he was uh, he was in a, a predominantly Shiite village visiting the Christian community, and there was an attempt on his life. He survived, but um, um, he li- he lived m- many years after that. But uh, that's what brother was talking about. Maximus the fifth Hakim. His name is patriarch was Maximus the fifth. His last his family name was Hakim, and that that was not long after an attempt was made on the life of. Uh, Pope John Paul II, too. So Brother Francis spoke of both of those things sort of uh, simultaneously. but And he was talking about them because he's talking about the teaching church. Uh, I think we may as well just um, charge right into what Brother Francis said about papal infallibility. Okay. Because, um, uh, you know, he, defend, he, he did a two, what you might call a twofold defense of papal infallibility. And, the, and he defended it from two completely different sides. On the one hand, today, in the very revolutionary times in which we live, we have even had popes saying and doing things that, that, that certainly, to put it very kindly, detract from the traditions of the Church. Okay. And I think now that we live in the days of Pope Francis, that's that's very easy to see. I mean, you know, it, it's one thing to hide the nakedness of your father when occasionally he just flashes his thigh or something. It's another thing when he's parading out like a voyeur. And unfortunately, Pope Francis is doing that constantly. But in doing so, he's showing us something about the nature of the office 
that when he's not using the, 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 the safeguards that he has and the protections that he's given by the Holy Ghost, in other words, when he's not using his infallibility and when he's not cloaking himself in the mantle of tradition and simply reiterating what tradition always taught, but he's shoveling out novelty after novelty after novelty without any attempt at, 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 at getting at the truth of the matter by using his infallibility, he is not protected. And therefore, he can, of course, he's fallible. Of course, he's fallible in that context. So it is, of course, a, um, what you would call a, uh, a caricature of papal infallibility to say that Catholics believe that the Pope is infallible no matter what, what he says, you know, his, what his favorite football team is or what the weather is outside. You know, the Pope says, gee, it's a beautiful day. Catholics are bound to believe that under faith, under moral sin. And that, that's a vulgar caricature. On the other hand, um, he can't, so he can be an error on those things. On the other hand, when he does use those protections that he is given by the, 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 the express will of the Savior and by uh, the, the, the promised protections of the Holy Ghost, when he's using the, his office, in other words, as it's intended to be used by, by God who authored it, then he is protected. And infallibility, as the word suggests in Latin, is, which is negative in form, is a protection that he is free from error. It's not the same thing as inspiration. In, uh, uh, um, inspiration and infallibility sound similar. They both start with I-N. Sure. But, but the inspiration in, in, in um, the in in inspiration means that it's breathed into it the inspiration in, in um, rather, the in and infallibility is the privative in, meaning not fallible. So the concept of inspiration is positive. The Holy Ghost, uh, is, as it were, breathes into the inspired author what it is God's will that be written. The concept of infallibility is much more negative. In other words, he's protected from teaching error. And you can see that there's a huge difference in those two concepts. Of course, the, the inspired evangelists, and, the, and when St. Paul, when he was inspired, and the Old Testament writers, when they were inspired, they were also infallible. But not every, every but, but those who are given the gift of infallibility in the New Testament are not necessarily inspired. It's a different. It's a different charism. So that's one thing to say. Another thing to say is that the office of an, of an infallible teacher is not at all something entirely new in the New Testament. It has Old Testament roots. And when our Lord is teach, when our Lord is um, instructing his own disciples about um, the the priests, and and specifically he's talking about the Pharisees. He says, the scribes and Pharisees have sitten in the chair of Moses. Do as they say, but not as they do. And a lot of people trip over that and say, what the heck is he talking about, the chair of Moses? Well, there was this concept of the cathedra moisi, the, 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 the seat of Moses huh. in the Old Testament. And that, that when Moses taught, obviously, if he was inspired, the, the people were bound to believe him. And the people are in, were bound to believe the prophets. The people were bound to believe the priests in their official teaching capacities. And what our Lord was saying about the priests of his own day is that they said they've sitting in the chair of Moses. So when they're teaching you officially, 
you're bound to accept what they teach, but don't do their deeds, don't do their works. And the fact of the matter is, some of these very priests are the ones that called for our Lord's death. So in that instance, you can't even follow what they say. But when they're officially teaching in their official capacity as the repositories of the inspired religion of the Old Testament, well, then the people were obliged to believe them. And so our, our Lord is giving them something of a giving the disciples something of a criteria criteriology for belief. And we have a similar thing in the New Testament. In fact, it's much clearer in the New Testament in the in, in the teaching authority of the Pope. And we all throughout the history of the Church, there have been times when the Pope's teaching have been contested when he was not using his highest authority. And even you've had ecumenical councils which which condemned. Um, one, of the, one of the popes, Pope Honorius, for, for some of his um, heretical uh, tending statements. Yet, m- most of the popes have never had those kind of censures applied against them because most of them, frankly, never taught heresy. And even in the case of Honorius, there was no attempt on his part to bind heresy. So Brother Francis went through in this lecture, and it's very clearly spelled out in the notes and it's even more, so it's clearly spelled out in the notes, and it's clearly spelled out also in the handout uh, that we have for this lecture 16 of uh, De Homine. Uh, Brother Francis goes into the, the, the specific notes of papal infallibility. What are the constituent parts of papal infallibility, and how do we know that the Pope has made an infallible pronouncement? And he's got that in there, and, and, and he's quoting from Vatican I from Vatican Council One, And this is a very, very timely subject because especially in, in, in our day when, we're, when, we, when we see the Pope, um, he's, he's talking a lot. <laughs> he talks a lot. He talks a lot. He talks an awful lot. He talks more than me and you, Mike. He does. <laughs> but uh, but, but he's not, he, he's not uh, infallibilizing a lot, if you will. He's not getting up there saying, uh, let's see if we can come up with something infallible here. <laughs> he, he, he's not infallibinating? Is that what you're saying? He ain't, he ain't infallibilating. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but, the, but he's talking a lot. And, and there is a danger. I mean, traditionally, to, to be very serious here and grave about a grave matter, the, uh, the, the, there, is a, there is a traditional sort of reticence, even quietness, surrounding the papal office. The Pope shouldn't go out there and take interview after interview after interview after interview about everything under the sun, from the environment to economics, which he admits he knows nothing about, to, um, you know, uh, Latin American politics or whatever. Yes, he has to talk about moral issues. And sometimes those do touch upon politics and economics. I'll be the first to say that. Yet... Um, his first obligation is to teach faith and morals and to, and to be a servant of tradition and to be a servant of the church's doctrine. You know, that, that, that servile role is, is to be kept in mind because his office is, again, Pope St. Gregory the Great, who Brother Francis quoted in this lecture tonight, said, called himself the servum servorum Dei, the servant of the servants of God. Servum Savorum Day. Yeah. Yeah, and he was specifically saying that in stark contrast to the proud uh, then Patriarch of Constantinople, um, who was a man known as John the Faster. Um, 
who called himself the Universal Patriarch. He said, and, and by the way, the Greek Orthodox Patriarch to this day calls himself the Universal Patriarch. And uh, the Pope said, uh, I, we, we don't even call ourselves that. We are the servants of the servants of God. So it's an office in the church. He has to serve. And, and he serves by being faithful to, the, to, to what he has received. And, and this is something that's very much seen in the papal oath of office that was traditionally made. I think the last one that made it was John the Twenty Third. Um, but that papal oath of office um, uh, w- was quite explicitly the Pope talking about passing on what was handed down to him. Uh, so you see this union of, of, of authority on the one hand and tradition on the other. Right, and right. We probably only have a minute, a couple of minutes, but... Three minutes. One thing that, one thing that I should say, since I, I, I've spoken about tradition and how the Pope is, a, is, a, is a, in a sense, a servant. I can't even say slave to tradition. Uh, if, you, if you look at tradition as, as what he has received from uh, the church before him... Um, on the one hand, we're talking about authority. On the other hand, we're talking about tradition. My friend uh, and yours, Charles Coulomb, um, has made the point, and it wasn't original. He told me he was quoting somebody else. But when you look, and, and, and I'm one of the, I, I'm definitely one of these Occidental Catholics who thinks that the the Oriental schism was a tragic thing, and I and I and I pray for the day when the Russians and Greeks and so forth all come back into into unity with us under the Pope. But but Charles made the comment that in the East they have they have exaggerated tradition to the expense of authority, okay. and in the West we have exaggerated authority at the expense of tradition. <laughs> and like all glaring oversimplifications, uh, it, it, it 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 doesn't you know completely convey the entire picture, but it does have the value of in a in a in a, a nutshell capturing the problem. Um, the problem in the West is that we exaggerate authority. The problem in the East is that they exaggerate tradition so that they've negated authority. There needs to be a healthy compromise at some point. And I don't mean Catholic doctrine has to be compromised. What I mean to say is that we we Occidentals need to return to a healthier sense of tradition, and the Orientals need to return to a healthier sense of uh, proper authority and order in the Church. So, Brother... Uh- you had mentioned to me once upon a time, and I don't recall the exact subject, but uh, about uh, in regards to authority, and this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it does have something to do with authority. Uh, in regards to authority, that there has been, uh, since the first Vatican Council, there has been a uh, somewhat of an abuse of authority, locally speaking, in what you call clericalism. Oh, yeah. I mean, clericalism is... Um, uh, Clericalism was is a serious problem today. Okay, can is that something we should? Uh, we've got two and a half minutes left. Um, the, the, basically, this is abuse uh, of authority, or it's a kind of totalitarian, a tyrannical authority uh, used by bishops and ordinaries in uh, far too many instances in parishes or dioceses, right? Well, priests. I mean, just just simple priests. An right. ordinary is a bishop. He's 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 the top bishop in the diocese okay but but the the um the, the just your average priest yeah clericalism was supposedly a sin of the pre-vatican II priests 
I, I argue that clericalism is more with us now than it was before the times of Vatican II. And, and I know because I have to deal with clericalist priests all the time. But, you know, uh, and, and that's uh, a priest has an office to serve the faithful. That doesn't mean to say that he has to go to the liturgy committee and this committee and that committee to find out how he acts as a priest. No, it, but, it, but it does mean that he, he serves an office in the church and he has to be faithful to what it is he was given. He, every priest isn't a pope in his, own, in his own parish and every bishop isn't a pope in his own diocese. There are limits to their authority. They have to understand those limits and they have to understand the divine constitution of those limits and assert what must be asserted aside from their own personalities, which unfortunately now everything is a matter of the cult of personality. In the absence of doctrine on authentic church discipline, you have this tyrannical uh, 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 cult of personality. Well, there you go. Hey, I'd love to continue this conversation. Maybe Brother Andre Marie can be a uh, guest on the Mike Church Show. We'll call it uh, Reconquest Light. Okay, uh, that's going <laughs> to wrap, wrap it up for uh, for us. We have to go. The clock's going to run out. Brother Andre Marie's Reconquest is up next. This is the Crusade Channel, King Size Truth from Radio Size Speakers. Mm-hmm.